Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Hey, uh, after much prayer, I have decided to stick with my decision to podcast about the Nebraska Cornhuskers this season. Nice. Uh, Boomer. I just would like to advise my uh, fellow Go Big Redcast members that any emails you may receive from Houston Nuts attorney alleging any salacious details are nothing but lies. <laughs> and Mac. How's it going, guys? We're just about starting the season where I can be convinced that we can win just about every single game with just a few little tweaks. So I'm excited, ready to go. Totally the glasses possible. are on. Rose, scarlet, whatever you want to call them. Well, I'm uh, just uh, finishing up my uh, thank you letter to uh, Stanley Morgan Jr.'s lawyer, uh, and we'll keep him on speed dial if I'm ever in Florida. (laughs) So uh, thanks for joining us, uh, folks. We are uh, kicking off uh, season two of the Go Big Redcast, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot has has happened uh, since our last show in a couple months. Uh, one thing that uh, hopefully you've been able to interact with us on is all of our Twitter polls. Our uh, social media director, Honky, has been busy over the last couple of months. Uh, Honky, you want to run down some of these uh, poll results and uh, um, make sure everyone's on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, I guess a big thanks to, to all of you uh, Redcasters out there that have been following us. We appreciate it. Uh Today we had our, our most recent poll that, that went out there. We had over 400 votes, and for us that's kind of a big deal. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and that was, uh, I think the question, it was like wearing scarlet-colored glasses, what, what are you most optimistic about? And the four options, uh, Diaco's D being a top 25 defense in, in the country, that was number one at 33%. Uh, Tanner Lee thrown for 3,000 yards and 65% completions, that was 31%, came in second. Stanley Morgan becoming the, the first Husker to ever get 1,000 yards uh, receiving in a, in a year was 25%. And coming at the end, and not, not surprising, obviously, is the O-line. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. <laughs> the O-lines, they've been beat up a little bit, you know, in the, in the press and by the fans. And they came in at 11% with, with uh, whether or not they would have at least one all-conference guy. So, um, you know, and, and we have some other polls down the line, but I think I think that was a that's a pretty good one to go off of because any one of those four things happening, if we have a top twenty five defense, if we have um, Lee throwing the ball for that many yards, I think we all think he'll throw for three thousand. That's a pretty easy number there. But I wanted to throw right? the sixty five percent on top of that. Uh, any one of those, if Morgan's catching a thousand, obviously, if the offensive line can get back to having a guy, you know, on that all conference list, that's a any one of those things mean really good things for this season agreed uh any other uh, polls of note that uh were probably of, of most of the interest of our, our fans well uh, one of them was about uh you know, the ncaa you know since it gives the sec automatic lifetime burst in the playoffs <laughs> which right. power five conference will be left after this season uh left out and that was uh overwhelmingly the big 12 was was the team picked there um, Valentino's Pizza is the most uh, most ordered uh, food at Husker Games over Runza, Fairbury, and the other lettuce and group got four percent there. Uh, I tagged them in it; they liked it. They they appreciated the the love. Um, yeah, and yeah, and then other than that, besides Nebraska and Oklahoma, what's the biggest annual rivalry that's ended due to conference realignment? We had 
uh, Michigan Notre Dame basically, or Michigan slash Big Ten Notre Dame came in at number one, and then A and M Texas was number two there, and then Kansas and Mizzou they don't get the uh, the love I think they deserve, no. but they came in at number three at eighteen percent. So, and then the, Pitt, uh, can get Pitt Penn the State, uniform you know, combination uh, poll was pretty solid, wasn't that? That got got some good traction, wasn't that Max idea? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh yeah, that was one of our first big vote getters. And that was a uh, everyone likes the red top white pants the most, so by an overwhelming majority. So yeah. the the standard home uh, home wear, exact same thing that we'll be wearing against Wisconsin uh, in our throwback to the 1997 jerseys. That's right. That's right. Uh, red tops, white bottoms, we're doing good. So hey, is there a rule about you can't actually have mesh anymore, and you can't have cropped. Yeah, that's a great jerseys. question. I, I kind of think I'm almost sure there is a rule about the cropped jerseys, but I'm not positive about the mesh. I don't know if it's a rule, but it's more like it just doesn't really go well together, and so nobody wants to wear it like that. You know, I don't I mean, know. What that no, Ezekiel seen. Elliott it got certainly in trouble goes well for together. The cropped jersey. Ezekiel yes, Elliott he, did. Yeah, um, yeah. Good point. It looked awesome. I know. Mr. Skip so, coming in. But, yeah, a, they, they didn't come down on him for that uniform violation. But I don't know of anything against Mesh. Yeah, the, the NCAA did ban the crop top jerseys back in uh, 2015. Oh. So that is no longer In no 2015? Longer allowed, yes. Correct. You know, no midriffs. Oh, oh my God. It, it kind of just gets me annoyed that we have to talk about like this. Like We're one week after the, the media days where there was so much discussion about Jim Harbaugh not wearing a, a coat and tie or what, you know, P.J. Fleck was wearing. I'm like, good Lord, it's football season. Here we are talking clothes. It's, it, this has become the, the, the 2000s version, you know, the dramatization and the, I don't know, it's like we've turned into women watching a soap opera, you know, how we, how well, we talk about football Well, let's talk some football. I feel it. as though it's a, you know, I'm just a little particular about some stuff. Oh, hey, who didn't like Wistrom wearing a, you know, the, you know, <laughs> Dante Jones or whatever. Looked right. Dante awesome. Jones, okay. All right, you're going to get me talking. Dwayne Harris now. looked amazing. I'm just saying, those guys look tough. All right, it worked. You got me talking it. Don't bring up 2002 Husker weird all whites. I don't want to, I don't even want to get into that. Personal favorites. So anyways, right, Dave, to answer let's... your question, that's, that's kind of what we've been doing on the, uh, on the poll since, uh, since our last show. Great. All right. Very good stuff. Well, I think that's awesome that we're, you know, uh, building up that uh, following. And hopefully uh, as we go through the season, um, we'll keep all that uh, that type of interaction going and hopefully have a lot more, uh, you know, kind of responses on the show to some of the questions and, and other things coming up. Uh, so it's, it's cool. Uh, other football news, though, guys. Uh, so Husker in-state recruiting uh, hits and misses. Uh, Honky's boy Bryson Williams uh, committed to Wisconsin uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, big uh, lineman out of Lincoln Southeast uh, was not offered by Nebraska. Um, also, but um, they they aren't aren't afraid to pull the in-state uh, trigger with an offer on someone they like. Garrett Nelson out of Scotts Bluff, a 2019 recruit, received an offer. So. Uh, I don't know what your your take is on that, guys, but it's it's definitely something where they were not going to offer Williams uh, no matter what. Um, but clearly, when they are ready to pull the trigger on an in-state guy, uh, they have no issue doing it. Mac, I'd you have say, any? Well, Honk, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I, I'm probably glad we weren't doing a show right at the time of that Friday Night Lights because I, right when we lost Bryson Williams, I was unnecessarily butthurt over it. And the reality is, is that. <laughs> 
if that's the worst thing that's happened in the recruiting world for us, Mac and I spent a good amount of time one night talking about this. It's like I can live with that. I mean, I, I, I prefer that we don't let guys like like him from Lincoln go, but it's not like this. It's not like that's become a trend of this of this staff. I mean, and the Garrett Nelson, you know, offers a perfect example of that. So I mean, they in the same weekend where you can have a Friday night lights and you can bring in all the big four and five blah 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 star guys, they also are offering a Scotts Bluff kid. So I think. Yep. That that got me over the the Bryson Williams thing. Pretty. It easy. is interesting in the in the sense that, I mean, it, it you know the the staff seems to do their own evaluations. They're not relying on someone else. They didn't care that Kansas State or Iowa or Wisconsin was going after Williams. They they weren't going to uh, give him that scholarship. Now, maybe I mean the question I guess in Honky, you're the one that probably asked this is was it purely a numbers thing? They weren't going to offer because they didn't think they have have room. Um, that that's probably a little bit different of a story of simply saying, well, we evaluated this guy and he just didn't make the, the cut. Um, since since that kind of whole ordeal, uh, the roster has had some changes to it, right? So we um, have Elijah Blades and Watts not qualifying and going the JUCO route. We have Greg Simmons leaving the team. We've got uh, KJJ gone. So they're now is should be more available spots to uh, offer this upcoming class, right? Yeah, it's it's probably because I spend more time on Twitter than I used to through this podcast. I mean, I never I never used to go on it, so so now I'm following people more, and especially the real the real recruitniks out there. I mean, the people that are they're they're more worried about what happens in February than what happens during the season. Those are the people that you know when Bryson Williams didn't come here, it was. They make every excuse in the book, and oh, we our numbers just didn't allow it. No, I'm I'm actually going to give more credit to our staff than that. If they honestly evaluate the guy and they didn't believe that he fit what they were looking for, whether I whether that makes sense to me or not as the, as the fan, because I can sit there and say hey, Wisconsin thinks he's good enough, why not? But still, if if our staff is saying that that's why they're not offering, then that's not going to change whether or not three or four positions open up. And by the way, to all those recruitniks out there. Things are going to change. You know, if you're all blown out of proportion in July that we only have 15 offers or 16 to give, just settle down. Things are going to change. Guys are going to come and go and leave, and they'll leave after the season too. That number of 15 that was thrown out there that's that's going to be for the, the 2018 class, believe me, that number will change. Yeah, it's it's a super fluid situation still. It's ridiculous to think, you know, we've almost got this whole class buttoned up and you know, there won't be any wiggle room for anybody down the line. But I think, you know, going back to Byerson, though, I think I think there was something to do with him fit-wise that they didn't see was going to work going forward, and they just didn't want to waste a lot of time with it. It's not the best answer. You know, it's like that's there's probably more layers to it that we just don't know and they're not going to tell us. I get that. But, <clears throat> you know, you have to trust the staff. They feel like they're doing well with the other recruits and, and they're getting the right talent here that – I don't know if you can say they could afford to miss on this guy, but you know they weren't going to feel forced into to having to recruit him. I mean, he got a good look because he's from Nebraska, and if he wasn't from here at all, then he probably would have never even been like that. So that's kind of how I feel about it. We, you know, we'll see. You got to be right on the ones you do get, you know, to justify the ones you Absolutely. let go. Yeah, yeah, and you just hope that you don't miss miss somebody really big, right? I mean, you don't want. Williams right. turn out to be a all Big Ten guy. It certainly would be embarrassing, uh, and it certainly happens. Those so. kind of ones you don't yep. want. Those Harrison Phillips. Yep. 
That's right. Uh, on more uh, sobering news, uh, over the last uh, few months, we had some coaching changes. Uh, Bob Elliott uh, initially stepped down from the active coaching position uh, because of his health. Uh, took over a consultant role, actually has passed away. Um, you know, uh, Honky, you had a chance to actually have a good conversation w- with uh, Bobby Elliott, as they uh, called him a lot in his obituaries. Uh, any words on, on um, the loss of, of uh, Coach Elliott? Well, you know, I, I, if you go back to our first show, I, you know, I gushed all over the guy and, you know, mentioned at the coach's clinic that I didn't intend to fall in love with a 64-year-old man at it, and I did, and, and I meant that. I mean, that guy, in 10 minutes of sitting with him, you can see why, you know, his presence is, was felt the way it was in just a short amount of time here. So he's, uh, you know, that's it's a huge loss there. Um, we're fortunate uh, you know, on the field, we're fortunate that Scott Booker was able to be here during spring ball. Uh, he's coached safeties in the past and, and special teams, so it looks like yes. we have a special teams coordinator again. That's true. But um, but certainly certainly the experience and everything, I mean, all the things that, that, that we talked about in the spring, about what we liked about Elliot and what he brought, I mean, th- those things will, you know, that you can't replace that kind of experience. But I do think that, that his, his presence here will be felt I think it, it benefited the program. It benefited the transition. It benefited Diaco, and uh, and so I mean it was. I mean, we're we're lucky to have had him when we did. True, um, and, and just uh, more recently, uh, in that kind of uh, consultant role, uh, they've just hired uh, Gary Darnell, former uh, DC at A and M and other places, uh, who has connections to uh, Bob Diaco uh, again. To looks like hopefully. You know, make sure we're installing that that three four um, throughout the year. So, um, do you think that to, that's really that the end thing right now? Is to hire thing, consultants or, or and you just sort of you guys, can kind I mean, of slip through the always, cracks of yeah, that coaching. That's it. I think it's exactly, it. and it still allows you to have, I guess, enough eyes to kind of help break down and implement. It's kind of a sneaky. I like it. Not, not sneaky like nefarious, but like sneaky like it's a good idea. And if you have the you know the resources to do it, and we do, sure, it's awesome. You know. It's not new. We're not pioneering it. It's just nice that we're kind of... Yeah. Alabama out. has... Yeah, it, eventually that yeah, will come We'll see if the NCAA keeps allowing it. Awesome. For, we can do stuff know, with it. So. The near future, I'll go be away. curious. Yeah. yeah. It's a new loophole. Harbaugh will be the one who ruins it. it. He'll bring so, in somebody yeah, outlandish to be like... Uh, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be insane. <laughs> right. And... It, He'll, he'll get Snoop Dogg to be one of his. He'll find someone in Rome. Offensive just, quality you know. control consultants. And it'll be me and Rap Videos <laughs> with him. He's always the one who ruins the fun stuff. He's the guy who takes it too far. Yeah, just that. But that's what But that's what Alabama, I guess, did last year. With, like You had Sarkeesian on staff so that as a consultant so that you know by the time Kiffin flamed out like he knew he was going to. That you know, you had somebody that could perfectly fit in for him. So, I guess right. I, it, it's nice to know that that we have the, the the funds and the resources to be able to play at that level. Why not? Yeah, I would actually do as many of these consultants as we think you know isn't going to draw too much attention to it because I think well, it's and just let's let's more, face it, football more, programs uh, are underserved. Eyes anyway on that by film, the number of coaches more, more There's a ton of players down, they're trying um, to watch. You know, they, just the number of coaches that they say you can have isn't enough to effectively manage yeah, a program. And you're talking big absolutely. boy football. I mean, you've got to have a little leeway with your, you know, with your staff. 
Yeah, absolutely, Mac. It's a good point. Um, That's all I got to say about that. Throw the bones. The defensive breakdown. All right, guys, let's uh, start breaking down some of these uh, position groups. So we're starting on the defensive side of the ball. Practice just started a few days ago. Um, in the intro, I mentioned uh, some of these roster uh, changes, and the, the biggest um, I- issue is the injury to Chris Jones uh, out uh, for four to six months. Uh, he's claiming an early recovery, but even then we're missing him for at least half the year, potential redshirt candidate. Uh, what are your What are you guys' thoughts on how we're gonna shuffle the deck uh, in the secondary to compensate for that loss of our, our number one corner, Mac? Yeah, it's a it's a bummer hearing about that because I felt like he was a guy that was really gonna be a tone setter for our defense this year. You know, beyond what he presented, you know, as a talent on the field, which I think he could have had a, you know, kind of an all conference type year. Um, I think he was a just a really solid force back there for a secondary that needs some guys. Plus, you know, we lost JoJo Doman, you know, earlier in the spring. So that, that position group's kind of already taken a hit. So that's a, that's a problem. And then of course it's like, you know, the defense of the dark arts position back there with the defensive backs coach. I mean, they can't last more than a year, each one back there. So, I mean, there's always all this flux in the, in the secondary. And it was kind of nice to have those guys back there, but on the plus side, the coaches have kind of already made some moves to, you know, solidify the back end with with Kalu and and uh, Williams, which I like that pairing a lot. I think I think those guys could be good. And then you know, it's time to see how recruiting's actually you know let the rubber hit the road here and see what Lamar Jackson's a legitimate four star. You know, if we're going to talk stars, we'll just say that for now. And so is a uh, uh, Eric Lee. I mean, those guys should be talented enough to play and go. And you know, they're yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's there's a they've had time. They're not true freshmen. You know, this isn't just total inexperience. And we've got other options, too. So I don't it, – it, it's not good because he was – like I said, he was all-conference. But it's a position group that should have at least some athletes back there to work with. You know, that if you, you know if they're playing smart, it could, you know, hopefully offset some of that loss. But, no, not great news. About, what do you think there, Honk? Well, it's certainly not great news, and it's never great news anytime we have any starter and – and certainly some of, of uh, Jones's caliber going down at the same time. And this is something we've talked about a number of times off air. It's a recurring theme that you're going to hear, but there's no excuses with this season. We're far enough along. And exactly to Max's point there, it's not ideal to lose Jones right now, but I've read and heard enough people sit there and talk about how our lack of depth or youth and this or that. Good Lord, we have two four-star kids. If you want to start getting into the recruiting things, we've got four-star kids in Eric Lee and, J- and Jackson. The one kid that we got out of the entire satellite camp thing that we just couldn't miss being in the last couple of years was Boodle. He's, you know, a year right. into the program. To be able to pull back a guy like Kalu, if we need be in, in certain positions, a guy who's been starting for multiple years at the corner spot, I'd say that's I, – I would, I would qualify that as decent depth. I would qualify that as decent talent. I would certainly qualify that as not a – that's not a reason for us to, to all of a sudden start losing games and, and blame it all on the loss of one player. Jones is a huge loss. It's time for other guys to step up now. And I'm, and I'm really excited. It's time for guys to step up at the safety position to make it easier on our, our corners. It's time for the you know, sure. Antonio Reed. It's time for Kieran Williams to, to get back in the good graces of, of kind of the new defensive staff. Obviously, he was a year ago. Um, you know, Doman, we saw him in spring ball at the coaches clinic. We thought he was just outstanding. That was a loss. 
I and I I've asked a couple of the the media people and nobody. Apparently, we're not big enough yet to get responses from some of them. But I, I just wanted to know, like, how's Doman's um, recovery coming? Because it was supposed to be kind yeah. of like a six-month one, and he got hurt in early April. And, you know, if things go well, you could be getting back in late September, early October, or or it doesn't happen either. I don't I don't know. Right, right. You know, uh, Boomer, I'm going to throw it over to you, you. I think I actually want to have you do some research for us really quick. It's made me think of... Um, some of the biggest uh, kind of fall practice injury losses, right? The one that comes to mind to me when I was a kid was uh, Doug DeBose. Uh, remember, and didn't he tear up his knee in, uh, in fall practice? And uh, we lost him. Um, I wonder if we could generate some other uh, well-remembered uh, injuries. Maybe, maybe this is actually a honky, so you can, you can throw out a, a pole or, or something like that, but... Uh, there's always one of these every year almost, right? Where there's someone that goes down and it's a big deal at the time, but by the time the season happens, everything's adjusted and you, you uh, are never quite for certain what you actually missed, right? I mean, I guess the good so news biggest... is it happened early in camp, I suppose, if there's good news on it. We got a lot of camp to work those guys in there, you know, not just before the opener, so um, we'll have some time to work with them. So biggest off-season uh, injuries. That, maybe we can put a poll together, something like that, that we'd send out tonight for the next week. So. Yeah. All right. Now we got some interaction going. Excellent. All right. Boomer, if you, and Boomer, if you do some research, feel free to throw it at me. But it, we'll at least throw Doug DeBose right away on, on the list, and, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, that'll yeah, probably take a little bit of time more. to figure out uh, injuries there. I mean, you can think of other off-season losses, like Sam Foltz. I mean, that clearly springs to mind as a wow. very serious yeah. type of loss. I mean, That's a good you point. Know, yeah, that was, and it had a major impact. Uh, yes, it, did. it certainly it, did. It really did. That you know, that's that's such a good point there because it, not just the impact, the personal impact that that Fultz had, but that was last year. You know that that punting position, and since we're talking about defense here, we'll kind of you know the punter usually gets counted on with the defense, so we'll kind of you can bring that bring uh, Lightborn into the to the conversation. His improvement right now. Or what we his perceived improvement? There was reports of him booming punts yesterday in the first first practice. That can be a, a night and day kind of difference from from what we had out of that position last year, and uh, and every little piece that's better than a year ago. I mean, we keep running into things where it's like, oh, it's changed, it's different. Diaco, you know, we have a different head, you know, DC than we had a year ago. Agreed, but who thinks that it's a worse move? It's changed, but it's changed for the better. And if we've made a bunch of areas of change for the better, this gets back to the five and seven that ESPN thinks, the six and six that Vegas thinks. But it's like, forgive me if I if I'm just not buying that. I'm not saying we're winning national titles, but I have no idea, no clue where five and seven and six and six is coming from. If we went nine and four a year ago, and we think that we have made positive changes and our depth is better, I don't think we sure. can lose Chris Jones a year ago. I think we could right now. Are we even going to need a punter that, with, with with Tanner Lee at quarterback? I mean, I just can't imagine a situation where <laughs> on well, three you may punt downs, the fourth quarter when you got the backups make... in at some point. So, oh, sure, you know that, that makes sense because I just I figured a, that's with, another. Uh, it was just no way, no punting this year. Another data download. We could ask Boomer to look up. Uh, I remember back in the mid '90s, uh, Jesse Cush would go like games without actually having to punt didn't he i mean it was it was ridiculous <laughs> rumor was his cleats were dusty 
That's right. He was all all big eight, but he didn't actually punt. It was brilliant. You know? uh, all right. Well, we're still on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, any other things you guys want to want to comment on the linebacking core, D line, anything uh, standing out early to you guys? Well, I think one of the things that was mentioned yesterday, there were some position moves. Uh, Colin Miller, and every one of these I think were good ones. Colin Miller moving from inside to outside linebacker. Peyton Newell moving from D-end into nose tackle where he'd probably be a third stringer, but, again, just kind of manufacturing some depth. Ben Stilley moving from an outside linebacker to a D-end, which I think is, a again, a good move. A lot mm-hmm. of times when you're making these initial changes, what's going to make the, the defense successful in year one of a – of a um, change of scheme. When you think back to like early nineties, when we're switching from the five, two, which is the three, four, but the five, two to the four, three back then, it was all about the key to that change back then was having just one or two positions really be better. And then you can maneuver people around. So back then it was all about getting a, the corners, right. And if you could get the right corners, which was like Baron miles and Tyron Williams, then your other corners like John Reese could become safeties. Your safeties like Troy Dumas and Ed Stewart could become backers. Your backers like Dante Jones and Trev Alberts could become DNs. Your DNs like Bruce Moore could become a D tackle. That's what's happening today, except it's a different position. It's all happening. It's starting at the nose tackle. If we can get the right nose tackle, then guys that were a five technique or you know D tackle in the four three, they start becoming your DNs, and that's what Carlos Davis is. That's kind of what um, that's what Khalil Davis can be also. Um, your DNs, in certain cases, can start to become your outside linebackers. Your outside linebackers can start to become, you know, and, and that's how it's kind of been shifting to make this 3-4 work this time around. It's all based on that, that nose tackle position and, and starting to move people out from there. We've gotten bigger. We've, we, we've, right. we've, we've reduced one lineman, added one linebacker, but we've gotten bigger across the board. So we could be a bigger defense with what, what looks like on paper a smaller scheme. You know, a 4-3 feels bigger than a 3-4, but we could be bigger in a 3-4. I'm not worried about how we're going to stand up against the run. Sure, we certainly I, I should think, be uh, more athletic in the 3-4. You know, it allows us yeah, to get our, our fastest, kind of those hybrid role guys, get the most of those guys out on the field. And, you know, those big enough to make an impact on the run game and fast enough to kind of still keep you in the passing game. It's interesting that, you know, we went from the – the five two to the four three to get faster, and now it seems as though we're going from the four three, you know, to three four to get faster. I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Somehow faster. Much moved. of that's just per- personnel, right? I mean, yeah. I think what the the national media and you know some of these preseason mags and whatnot are missing on this switch is that if you really break down the the roster, uh, I I think the general sense is, is that the roster was better built for the three four almost immediately than the existing 4-3 that we are running. Um, and so this idea that it's going to take a year to, to transfer over to the 3-4, at least from a physicality standpoint, uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. I 100% agree. And and I don't think that some of the initial people that, that were thought to be bad fits in the 3-4 necessarily are, namely Stoltenberg at nose tackle, that he's too tall to be at, you know what, if you're not getting blown out of the way, if you can hold your ground, being 6'5 can be an absolute benefit because you could start getting some knockdown passes. That's something that we already saw happening in, in the first practice, and let's not read too much into a helmets-only practice. But the, the fact is what you can read into is we haven't knocked down many balls over the last two or three seasons. 
And if you can hold your ground in the middle, if you can be a 6'5 presence, if you can get your hands up, that can make a big difference. And the way that Perella was coaching the D linemen, the way that he would coach them where they'd switch their – I mean, they'd basically go at a 90-degree angle, put a, a you know a knee on the ground. Yeah, that was and, a cool and play. They were doing things to that prevent – Prevent getting pushed over, and I've, I've rewatched the spring game a number of times, and you see Car- the Davis twins do this outstanding. I mean, they, they if they're getting pushed out of the way, they, they will go down to that that knee, and basically they, it gives up all. They have all the leverage in the world to basically just hold their ground, and then these guys are strong enough now that they end up pushing their way back out of it. But the the point is, you're not seeing some guy. This isn't like Chase Rome against Wisconsin getting pushed 80 yards out of the out of the play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think this 3-4 is going to – it's going to clog up some stuff. We've, we've had the benefit. we only got to see one scrimmage, but, hey, that's more than most people have. we got to see the, the coaches clinic one. we got to see the 3-4 in, in, in motion back in the spring. And it, it was it, – what I remember seeing was it just looked really multiple. I mean, there would be times where all three D linemen would be going kind of slanting in one direction. It looked like the four guys in the back were, were kind of moving around to the other direction. There were guys flying in every direction – and, I, you know, the key is going to be on first down. Wisconsin has the same issue right now. The key is not getting yourself into bad down and distances. If, if we're not in second and one kind of situations on defense, then I think you're going to be able to see different blitzes and things come out. If we can, that first down, if we can be in positive second and, 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 and long and third and, you know, medium to long kind of scenarios, I think there's, there can be some amazing scenarios, blitzes, things that, that, that Diaco can bring out of this. And we're still going to see some 4-3 while we're at it, too. I mean, that should be noted. Diaco said that he envisioned 50-50 at one point. Yeah, it's not going to be easy to spot almost if you're 3-4 or 4-3 or nickel. There's going to be a lot of movement, it seems like. So I think that's uh, something to watch for. But Honky, I think you're right on about the the getting ahead on – the down and distance uh, from the defensive side of the ball, right? I mean, that's that's the key with the three four. So that's something to watch all through the season. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, call that a, a conversation on the D. Scoring explosion, the offensive breakdown. It's time for the Dorky Data download. All right, Boomer, what do you got on some punting stats from our good buddy Jesse Cush? All right, just running some uh, quick check of the numbers there. He unfortunately did have to punt a few times back in 1995. Uh, however, he did only punt 27 times that entire season, and he holds in the NC- yeah he holds the NCAA record for fewest punt returns allowed for a season. There were only five punt returns allowed that season, and they gained a total of 12 yards in five returns. They actually netted wow. negative yardage overall on on punts that season. It's it's. Fairly impressive. Columbus knows how to produce the punters, that man. Is, I'm telling you. That's got to be really good. This, I mean, like, is, has that been matched by other teams with their punters who have had, you know, very dominant seasons? That just Those are such low noticed, numbers. Not that I've noticed, no. That, that, that's still an NCAA record for uh, fewest punt returns allowed for a season. Amazing. It's, it's five, five total returns for 12 yards. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Wow. So yeah. he basically well, just full disclosure, we, we played. That's awesome. Yeah, we we played with Jesse Kush uh, in high school. Full disclosure, there. So, oh, well, you didn't play with him. I didn't of... play. I was we we. I watched him. a lot from the bench, but yeah. <laughs> what was the difference between honky and, and nine? Or what was it? Honky and two dollars. You can get eight quarters out of two dollars or something. Was the joke? Because I I didn't play that many quarters. Was that the joke? Ah, it doesn't that matter. That was point not is, the joke. Point is, go. 
Well, it was within that it light. Was something but I mean, like that. Any. <laughs> it was the, the the joke. The essential of it was I didn't have as many quarters as as you know a couple dollars worth. And if you want to spend a couple dollars worth, go to Jesse Cush's uh, Husker store in the Rockies. You guys live Big out there. Big Red of the Rockies, yeah. I believe. Big Red of the Rockies. Go you out can there. Go Quick see plug the Stanley Hotel. Absolutely. And then go get some Husker gear. It's a good day. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's start with the uh, offense uh, with the, some breakdowns by position group, and uh, let, hey, let's start with the obvious uh, QB. Tanner Tanner's looking good to start off, right, guys? I mean, it just he started off flawlessly, Hawk? obviously. Um, he's t- t- teaching the coaches how to run the offense at a rate that they've never seen before. So, I mean, all is well at the quarterback <laughs> That's position. Right. I think. That's right. Right. So it sounds like he's hitting over sixty-five percent of his practice passing. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I would I, imagine. I nothing. Nothing's changed in my thoughts on the quarterback situation from the spring, which was. I mean, I look. I'm I'm just happy with the fact that we have three QBs that can run the offense the style that we want to run. I think we've had the best depth in that regard. I just don't know that I've seen any of them getting hit and playing real football yet. And so, until that, I mean, I I I. I want to believe Lee's going to be an All-American guy this year. And, and and if Chris Mortensen is correct and if the Manning camp people are correct, he, he could be. You know, I mean, yep. he, he has that kind of skill. We just haven't seen him get hit in any – we didn't see him get hit in the scrimmages that we went to, to the, at the spring game. And so, literally, you know, not just green jersey, these are pretty green QBs when it comes into their first game. And so – I, I hope the staff knows what they're doing. You don't want to get guys injured in practice, but we we better be physical here in the next few weeks. I the just offensive line I'll has just to do leave its it job. at that. Yep, they yep, they need to do their absolutely job. Right. And every, I mean, we need to be physical in practice. We need to we cannot have as Jerry Donardo would say, Pac-12 practices over the next four weeks or five weeks because you know with the change of the the, the two a days that did add another week to it. You got to be smart. You get you you don't want to hit guys just to hit them. Diaco made a, a point in the spring ball to say. You know, you don't scrimmage every day. That's stupid. And I believe Diaco when he says that. And at the same time, it's stupid to not have a lot of contact in practice either because we've seen, you know, the Iowas of the world, the Wisconsins of the world, they have more more contact in practice than we do. You're saying that and, the green jersey needs, needs to come off of the quarterback and, and they need to get hit at least uh, some here is what you're saying, Unfortunately, right? now I almost – unfortunately, now I almost say it, it's that's – getting a little late now to do it and spring ball late in the time to take it off and really mm-hmm. have some big hits. And we go back to that, you know, we mentioned on an earlier show the when um, Zach Taylor won that, that quarterback race against uh, Joe Daly, it was a two hour long full pad, everything going on practice. And, and that's all you needed. You needed one scrimmage like that where Adam Carricker was, was hitting Zach Taylor full, full on. And then Taylor's getting up and running plays that's the stuff when you see that happen it's like okay yeah he can he can play at this level um we've seen some things out of lee solely because of what he did at tulane i don't want to disparage that but that was two years ago that was a different world that was a different team i just want to see the three qbs including jebbia by the way and i i'm not worried about him being broken if he gets hit i think he's a smart kid i think he knows how to take a hit and how to get away from it i think i just i really wanted to see those three guys at spring in spring at some point i just wanted to see him playing real football and, and I don't know always know that I saw that I saw some beautiful passes. I mean that Spielman that's pass right. was a beautiful throw, but that's different than, you know, when you hear the media guy going, Yeah, and, and he Did stepped Lee... up and he got away from a, a blitzer. No he didn't. There was no, you know, he was gonna get 
two hand touched. And so you do play differently in those situations. Right. And they didn't get touched even in, in spring, uh, in the actual scrimmage, right? In no, the actual really. spring uh-uh. game. So, and mm-hmm. we haven't seen any Correct. contact. Mac, I, I was talking to you about this, I think, this weekend. Um, you know, there, there's a chance here that, that Lee is pretty much everything as advertised, uh, throws for 3,000 yards and 65% right. and has a has a has all the NFL scouts drooling over mm-hmm. him. But we still go, you know, 8-4 and four or whatever. I mean, look at uh, Mitchell Trubitsky of North Carolina last year. North Carolina had a good season, but it wasn't like Carolina was, you know, threatening to really – win the ACC or anything, right. and he still goes extremely high in the draft. I mean, is that a, a realistic possibility where Lee's NFL potential is greater than the production he ultimately gives Nebraska in, in this this. Yeah, year? you know, I, I suppose that that's a possibility, just depending on, I guess, to me, how the defense shakes out. Because I, I think if the defense can play or hold up their end, you'd say just a little bit better than last year to – as good as last year, but no, they really have to improve. And then I, and I feel like the improvement that we would naturally see on offense based on what we're saying Lee would do, um, gosh, that, that's got to net us at least two more wins. At least two more wins. So, no, I don't think I don't think he can have a really good year and us not really benefit on the, you know, like a wins loss, unless the defense is a complete debacle. And I just don't see that happening. I feel like our staff is really good. I feel like we've got a really good young defensive staff and they're really good teachers and I think I just don't think that that transition to defense is going to take as long or be as hard as everybody else is suspecting. It's just going to be attitude, you know, the talents there. I mean I feel like the bodies are there to make this defense work. Buy-in is always a, you know, as part of a process, but it it seems like, you know, you listen to uh you listen to Aaron Williams at uh, Binghamton Media Days. His attitude is perfect. He's like, you know, whatever the coaches want to do, we'll do it. And he doesn't say that like, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to say that. That's how he thinks. I mean, he is he's like understanding his role is I'll do what you tell me to do because I trust you guys to put me in the best position to win. And I think he's right to do that. I think Diaco's got a history of doing that. So, no. Um, long, long answer to that question. <laughs> Tanner Lee has a good year. Nebraska <laughs> has a really good year. I'll throw another uh, I, question question out. Uh, well, Honk, go ahead. I'll, I'll do it next. Far away. Well, I was. I'd say I one hundred percent agree with that. That if he has what we deem to be a good year, that's going to be a good thing. I, I, I haven't really changed my stance since the spring, which is I'm scarlet colored glasses as they come on that defense. I'm not concerned about buying what what we saw immediately from Diaco and, and what he brought. The energy level increase on that defensive side. It is so reminiscent of the of the 03 spring where, where Pelini was brought as a D, D coordinator. It's that immediate of a change. I'm expecting that on defense. On offense, my, my questions, that's where I want to be scarlet-colored glasses. I think we have the talent. I think we have the players. I just, I, I'm just i still concerned about scheme. And I'm, I'm concerned about and we've talked about this this last weekend, where, you know, the what, what's the last Big Ten, Big Ten team to be a predominantly pass-first offense and, and win it all? And you literally have to go back to you know Purdue and Drew Brees. Um, you go back a year ago, and a question I would have wanted to ask at media days if I had been there was, you know, Coach, uh, you know, Coach Riley, how important is it still to be a top three running offense? You set that as a goal a year ago. Is that still a valuable goal right now? Because I would I would argue it is. Not that you have to. Not that you have to be top three. We 
we clearly weren't last year. But, boy, if we could be a top-three running offense like like a Wisconsin is, like an Alabama is, like a Michigan is, that same style where you have a very drop-back pro-style QB but, but an aggressive, you know, pounded offense, then you're going to have play action. You're going to have all those things that make the quarterback's life easier, and you're also going to have those games like Minnesota, Penn State, and Iowa in November that are you if you think you're going to throw it 45 times in some of those games think of the last time we played at Penn State that thing was snowing and it was you're not going to do it I don't care who your QB is you know you've got to be able to run the ball so that scheme becomes important that and the history of the Big Ten you know shows that too you better be able to run the ball when you need to run the ball one nice thing about yeah, global that's, warming that comes down to the offensive also, line right I was going to say the one nice yeah, thing no, about I the global wanted- warming <laughs> is that we should be able to pass later in the season in Nebraska, so that's good. You know, that's a climate <laughs> global change. warming, it, warming is going to save Nebraska football. Yeah, you know? global Canada, warming is not a good offensive philosophy, though. Think, so don't don't count on that. And it'll wash away most of the SEC. So we're in good shape. So. The red balloons are to help add to climate change. <laughs> that's well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it yeah, will yeah. wash away the SEC, Boomer. <laughs> yeah. Should be fine. To take back some coastline. Yeah, I would say Miami's in trouble too. Yeah. So you, you've got a lot of stuff. But, but going Dave, for you you, you just mentioned Dave. You said that you know the O line has to do that improvement. And you're, yeah, no one no one's arguing on that. That's one hundred percent correct. What can the scheme and what can the coaches do to make that easier? And the and the the last time that we were out was that Tennessee game. And and I keep harping on that one because it's the tale of two bowl games that these coaches have had here so far. One of them, you play UCLA and you get down 21, seven, but you go in with a game plan of we're going to run it. We're going to pound it. We, I mean, they went to the extremes of having, you know, 60 or whatever runs to 19 passes. I'm not, I'm not even asking for that kind of percentage, but, but they, a real physical aggressive game and we beat up UCLA. We came back from behind. Then you turn around, you play Tennessee and you throw the ball 40 plus times and, backup QBs and top receivers out and go down the whole list of all the things, you know, Tennessee's defense was giving up 400 yards rushing. They've got a guy that's going to beat Reggie White's uh, pass rush record. And, and it felt like we didn't set our O line up for success just going into the game. Now it's a bowl game too. So there's a lot of extra things you can add into the scenario, but I'm just saying how important is it right now? That's the question I'd like for Riley how important is it to be a top three running offense? I would argue that it's it's even more important this season than it was a year ago, solely because I think our QB is that could be that good that give him a top three running offense. You give you give Tanner Lee a top three running offense and let him throw the ball to who I think are some pretty good receivers. And I'm not going to again remember remember that recurring theme: no excuses. Don't tell me about our, our lack of receiving right now. Good Lord, we could go down the we have list no of guys. depth at the wide receiver position. Come on, <laughs> we've what are you got talking we've about? got outside speed. We've got we've got guys like Mike Morgan that can definitely be the the, the possession kind of guy. Mac, you and I were talking just the other day about you know even a guy like Raftall, the six seven tight end that comes in here. He doesn't need to be a starter. He what he needs to be is a six seven guy that maybe fits a specific role where you know you are playing on these these kind of plays and these kind of packages and your six seven guy to boot. And then Lindsey doesn't need to come in, and for all the accolades Lindsey gets, and I, I want that kid to be All-American as much as anyone, he's also a true freshman. He's going to struggle. He's going he's to flip out the first time he plays in front of 90,000 people. Those things are going to happen. But what he does have is unbelievable speed. So, again, you don't need to be a 90-play-a-game guy. 
Can you go in there in this specific package in these yeah. scenarios, and can you use that? One speed thing I think about and open up things for yeah. the other guys. I think one thing that's, that's kind of fun about this staff is that and maybe you like this, maybe you don't, but I kind of do. But they they have a history of featuring a player if they feel like they've got a special player. So I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to see who gets featured this year by our by our coaching staff. Who do they deem to be special? Because I could see, you know, if Demorney's where we think DeMorne could be, he could have a huge year. Same with Tyjon Lindsay. You know, the running backs, that's an interesting spot because if we start throwing to him more, uh, who's the better receiver out of the backfield? So who gets more of those receptions? You know, does Trey Bryant have enough complete game to kind of take over that spot and then be featured? Because then I think we get our 1,000-yard back. But unless somebody kind of, like in, particularly in the backfield, unless somebody takes over the role of, I can do all three things pretty well, I don't think we're going to have a featured back back there, but they, but but you know, but we do have some yeah. other playmakers. You know, Hoppus. You know, I, I've seen a lot on the tight ends already. That's going to be an element to this offense. So, I mean, it's just going to be kind of fun to see how as it as it goes and as the as our needs change. You know, and maybe as we have some injuries and we have to absorb some depth here and there. You know, to see what we can do with it. It could be fun. Well, part of being a top three running offense, if you wanted to be that, part of that is what are you doing in recruiting for personnel? And and there's not a lot of teams out there right now across the country that unless they're serious about running the ball, a lot of teams aren't going out and recruiting five, six, seven tight right. ends. And we have. And, and a fullback, too. We can get in some very big sets. And we're recruiting a fullback, Miles, on top of having McNitt there. And so – I just was listening to a radio show today, and they were talking about how they, they didn't think that, you know, we, we're probably going to see a lot of one tight end, three wide receiver sets this year. And, boy, that seems like a really weird route to go after all the effort to get what can be some big, big sets in there. The and, and, by the way, there is nothing wrong with having three tight ends on the field and being able to throw the ball out of it. Watch Michigan-Ohio State a year ago where Michigan wants to slow the game down. They don't they don't want to get into a, a, a scoring right. match, you know, with, with Ohio State. They've got a QB that, guess what, we weren't the only ones that had an injury. Spate got hurt two weeks earlier against Iowa. And, and by the way, just flat out isn't very good. And, and what they did is they slowed the game down. They got into three tight end sets. They ran the ball, ran the ball, and then they would do little play mm-hmm. action, simple, you know, passes. But it was three tight ends on the field, and they'd throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Out of those big sets, I'd love to see us. If you really want to get confusing as a, as a coordinator, and this is what Osborne was perfect at, get into big sets and throw the ball. Get into five receiver and four receiver sets and run the ball. You do the yeah. opposite of what you're what you align to. That is as challenging as anything. And I, I and most most offensive coordinators, quite honestly, are terrible at that. I mean, they they give things away almost by the package that they bring out there. And so you know we can get to the point where we, you know, we don't want to have every time Will Bond comes yeah, on the field, exactly. it's like, oh, that's the screen game, right, totally. you know. And, and at the yeah, same time, the, really other, the other thing we don't want is we don't want Azigbo getting nine car- or seven carries for 60-whatever yards like he had against, against Tennessee, averaging nine carries, a, you know, a yards a carry in a game where we're barely moving the ball, and then we take him off the field because he misses one pass block. I mean, there's got to be some balance of, like, Mac, you're, you're really good at identifying – running back talent. You've mentioned like who might be the best receiver or who might be the best all around guy. But if you were just going to run it, like this is a drive, we're going to end the game. We're, I'm telling you, we're going to run it 20 straight times. Who's our best back right now to be oh, that 20 guy? straight times. Or, you know, 10. I, I mean, say, I feel like it's, I feel like it's Trey Bryant. I feel like that's the guy who can do it. I think mm-hmm. best pure runner, like, 
like Duke and Jive and, and fun to watch, I think is probably Wilbon. You know, I mean, it's pretty obvious mm-hmm. what their roles are. I mean, I mean, this isn't breaking new ground. I mean, Divine's the big one. You know, Wilbon's the shifty one, and and yep. Trey Bryant's kind of the one in the middle. But I mean, how good can the one in the middle be? I think he could be okay. Well, I'll tell you what. It, it can. How about this? Can a Zigbo be close to what Amani Cross was two years ago? Yes. And we're not we're not going to replace Janovich, but but could either. I don't care if it's Miles. I don't care if it's McNitt. Can could we be able to get into an I formation set? And which is something we lacked really being able to do a year ago, mm-hmm. and I, that hurt us. But could we get into a big back set with a with a fullback and be able to get some of those? You know, where third and four is no longer, hey, we have to throw it. Because right. that's what we had to do the last couple of years. And and I'll just throw this one. This stat, I'll never forget it. That We lose to Northwestern two years ago at home. And when we had third and four or shorter in the game, that happened nine times. Three of the times we ran it, we got two first downs and a touchdown. Okay, so third and four mm-hmm. and shorter, we run it. Every time we ran it, something positive happened. A touchdown or two first downs. When we threw it. I believe it was four incompletions. It was one catch for like two yards, so, you know, didn't even get the first. And then the other one, Armstrong threw an interception that was returned for a touchdown. Yeah. So those are those those are those one, you know, those are only nine plays in an entire game. But those nine plays, when we're in third and fours, if we can be a team in the Big Ten in November or in September that can line up and have all these tight ends that we're recruiting, all these the, the fullbacks, the the running backs. If we can run the ball on third and four, Tanner Lee will get three thousand yards passing, and he will complete sixty five percent. Because if we can run it to get that, that's what's going to make Lee an even better QB than what we already scarlet colored glasses hoped right. and believe he. Will I think be. you're right, but I also think we're going to have to also be able to pass it on third and four and get that consistently to be able to run it mm-hmm. on third and four and get that consistently. Because, I, 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 you know, to do that, to do the running thing on, on third and four, that usually takes better, I don't know, that has to really be a part of your identity, a strong, and I just don't feel like that's what we're going to be. I think we're going to be a move the football team, not necessarily we're going to run the football down on your throw. We're going to throw it all over you. We're just going to, I feel like this is a staff that just wants to move the ball efficiently, smartly, you know, they'll game plan it in. If it's third and four and it's it's the way they see it, you know, they've dialed it up, then they'll pass if they see fit, if they'll run them if they see fit. But but I just don't yeah, – I don't. This is I, I feel like those days I, of hate, we're going to impose our will on you running on third and four. I just don't think that's us. And that could be I, right I, or wrong, I'll but it's this just, I don't my... feel like that's anything that's going to be – maybe cool, I guess, but I don't, I don't – that's not really in this coach's makeup to me. I I don't disagree there. I, I don't think. That, I mean, if we were bringing in this staff to be the, the the best power rushing offense in the in the country, that we failed. But I, I'll say I think we have a golden opportunity, and this is something I really want to see in Week One against Arkansas State. I would like to see something akin to what we did to Fresno a year ago. Not exact numbers. I'm not expecting 59 rushes to 12 passes. That's ridiculous. But let's say it's 50 rushes to 25 passes. Point is, I'd like to see against an inferior team, and and I'm. Again, no excuses, that whole thing. Uh, folks, we're not losing to Arkansas State. So we can stop tr- talking them up, okay? We're not losing to Arkansas State. This is an inferior opponent. So I'd like to see in that, that first game, there's opportunities to get into those three tight end sets. There's opportunities to impose the will on them, get some things on the tape where third and four we do run the ball. And now you've given Oregon and those other teams down the road, now it's third and four and we line up in that same formation 
And guess what? Now we play action. We roll out of it. We throw the, the, the safe passes. We do what Michigan was right. doing to Ohio State a year ago in those same formations. What I don't want us to get into is, to your point, you said you know we may have to pass in third and four. I 100% agree. I just don't want us to have to bring in – you know, Lindsey and and then Morgan and DP and the fourth right, wide totally. receiver every uh, yeah. time we get to third and four because that's yeah, the only I, way we can get it. That yeah, we is, should be able to. Go that's the thing that's going to maybe work yeah. one week, but it it will go away the next, or it'll go away when we're playing in mm-hmm. snow and in November against you know min, even Minnesota, who I you know I think is inferior in talent, but but could be very a very imposing foe, you know, For up sure. in Minneapolis in November. I mean, those are going to be just crappy yeah, the, weather Yeah, games the whole Big and, Ten, there's nobody in the – you can't – you're going to have to play well against everybody. I mean, certainly, you know, there's just – Yep. Well, that's just how it is. I mean, and even, you know, Arkansas State, their, their front-line guys are going to be okay. They're, they've got talent. They're going to – they're going to be – until they start getting tired, you know, they should be – they should give us a good look. I'm not trying to make excuses, but they should be a good look athletically. Yeah. You know, to see how – you know, if we're fitting our run fills nicely, you know, if that's come, if you know, if we look like we're in position, they can they can give a good look for that, you know, mm-hmm. and how crisp the passing game looks or how crisp the running game looks, yep. or or doesn't look, you know, and then in the second half, yep. regardless of how it looks in the first half, we need to start walking away, you know. So, yep. If we miss if we miss blocks, miss tackles, you know, put the ball on the ground, drop passes against anyone, and I'll throw Arkansas State in that bunch too. I don't I don't mean to be crude by calling them inferior, but if we do those things to them, absolutely, this can be in a very embarrassing first game. My mom point is again, State. no excuses. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I took my wife to McNeese State a couple of years ago because that was the easy, you know, easy ticket to get into. It'll just be a fun little one. We'll get out of there, and at the end of it, she's talking my ear off, and I'm like, "Would you move away for a few minutes? Because unless Amir Abdullah makes a ridiculous catch, we're we're all screwed here." Oh, oh, wait, oh, he just did. Okay, good, we're good. Speaking Thanks, of Amir, Amir Abdullah, uh, Amir was the last thousand yard back that we had. Uh, we've gone two years straight without a thousand yard. Last time that was done was seventy four to seventy six. So, quick, quick poll question, guys: Going to get a thousand yard back this year? Yes or no? Oh, oh, you that's know that's a, a great question, question, and that's going to become the poll, Dave. That's the okay, uh, Redcast fans. That's the poll question that we're going to put up tonight, and uh, it'll be up there for the next week. So uh, at Go Big Redcast, but Mac, <sighs> do we get a, a thousand, thousand yards. yards? I feel, gosh, I'm I'm just in such a good mood. Yes, we're going to get a thousand yard back. We are. Okay, I'm putting you on the spot. Who is it? Who is it, Mac? Yeah, is that Trey? It's Trey. Barring injuries, it's It's Trey. Trey. It's Trey. I feel like, like, you know why, though? (laughs) Because I do feel like he is good enough at both pass blocking and receiving to to be on the field a lot. Like, I, I feel like... He's got that part of his game covered, and he's explosive enough. So I think I think he'll be on enough, there yeah. to have the most chance. You know, obviously barring injury, but he seems the most complete and the most well-rounded. So uh, yeah, he's got a shot. Riley's done it. All right, Honky. What do you got? I'm, honky? The, I, I'm I'm the rose. It's it's still July as of right now. This will go out in August, but uh, so in July, I'm I'm very uh, scarlet colored, and I'm going to say yes. I I want to ask Boomer. Get him involved in the talk. Oh, I was going to ask Boomer. Don't worry, because he usually well, doesn't care. Well, <laughs> where are the rose colored glasses? We'll, so. we'll ask Boomer. But then on top of that, I want to ask Boomer. He's from Texas originally, and I mean Earl Campbell and some of you know those those guys, uh, Ricky Williams and all that. I mean, how important do you think Boomer it is that we have a thousand yard back? But yes, and and also just the question, 
will we have one? Psychologically, you mean, or just utterly necessary to the entire season? Or I think from, from yeah. The, what do you the, mean by that, Honky? Well, is it more important in? I I brought up the Big Ten, so psychologically, that's a good that's a good point there. Is it in, is if we were if we were still in the Big Twelve, would it be as important as I believe it is in the Big Ten to, to have it? Um, in the Pac-12, they might get thousand-yard rushers, like Mac has said back in the Oregon State days. I mean, they had what four straight guys that each ran for four thousand yards. But it feels like it is a different. It was almost different. Like it's a different style, or you know, they could feature one guy. But like in the Big Ten, it just feels like the history of it almost alone. How important is it? So I'm directing that to Boomer. Well, I guess traditionally you'd say it does seem to be important in the Big Ten. It does have that two yards in a cloud of dust kind of feel to the conference. It always has. That's a traditional kind of uh, impression of it. I I wonder if we say it's that necessary to this Husker team and to their success. I, I wonder if I, I'm going to lean towards we won't have a thousand-yard rusher per se because I'm thinking a lot. Our, our, our running backs are going to get a lot more of the slant passes, the screen passes. That's going to account for a higher total of their touches this season. They're going to generate a lot of yards with that, but that's going to go down as passing numbers for them. So mm-hmm. they may actually get a lot of yards, but they're not going to be seen as traditional rushing yards, I think. That's that's my initial suspicion anyway. Yeah. And Riley kind of said as much. He said that those those are they look at those as run plays, some of right. those the little, you know, side screens and such and so what would be like a successful well, we combination change how you up. actually score the game then and we'd be fine we well, just need go. to count those as running plays and our i bet our, our run pass split would actually be a lot closer to what honky wants too so look if the, the the game doesn't actually the numbers don't look the way you want just change the way you count it it's right? creative accounting that's what it's right. all about these days that's yeah. there you go there you go problem solved all right excellent all right. we are problem solvers here Trivia time. All right. Of the current members of the ACC, and I'll include Notre Dame in this, how many of those teams does Nebraska have an all-time winning record against? Hmm. That's a great question. Which schools do we have an from the ACC do we have a winning record against? Correct. Florida State, no. Clemson were 1-1 one one against, I believe. Sounds right. Uh, Syracuse, I think we have a losing record against. Louisville, I don't know if we played. NC State, I think. Boston College, god dang. Played them back in the 70s, didn't we, NC State? Yeah. And some reason I feel like we lost to them. Was that a bowl game or something we played NC State? Uh, in? Lou Holtz was the coach at the time. I yeah. Vautech, um, we, we, we should be 1-2. One, one and two. Again, we two, beat won them the in the bowl, bowl game, game back in the nineties. Lost both um, early season games. Miami a losing bowl. record. Georgia was that bo- was that Pliny who was there with that those Virginia Tech losses? Yes. Yep, that's okay. right. That was his first two years. We wow. might have a one and zero record versus Wake. Yeah, we yeah well two and zero against Wake. We played didn't we play them? Yeah, because oh, yeah. we played them out there yeah. too. So we yeah. would have one, and then God Pitt. I bet we have a losing record against them from like way back in the Pop Warner days. Duke, likely. the only time I can I can even think of that we played Duke, we lost him in the 55 Orange Bowl. So that's... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Wow. <laughs> the North ACC Carolina has kicked our butts, is what you're telling me. The With the exception of Wake Orange Forest... Bowl. Are you even serious? I think we ha- maybe maybe we've, we have a winning record maybe against maybe against a, just a Wake Forest. I think we're tied against Clemson. So it might be like something like 110 and 1. I, I, I don't... 
Georgia Tech we lost to, in the you know, in the, the Citrus Bowl, and I can't think of really any other Georgia Tech games unless you're getting way back into the into the you know pre Devaney history, and that that gets kind of tough. Florida State, obviously, we Miami we. Really so right. there's what fourteen teams, fourteen or fifteen teams in the ACC. 15, Do they have fifteen now? Notre Dame. If counting Notre Dame, there's fifteen. And Notre Dame, we'd have more than likely a losing record against all time. Although, gosh, we have we're the only team that have a winning record against the uh, Four Horsemen, Nebraska. So yeah. there's nice trivia for you there. We, we had two wins there, two wins in the early two thousands in the Devaney's Bowl game. We we beat Notre Dame. We probably still have a losing record against them. I'm going to say that we are like one twelve and one. <laughs> like we we have a winning record against one, losing record against twelve, and a tied record. So Wake one. Forest is the one school we think we have a winning record against. I guess I'm 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 that's the because that's I'm the question. Go that, right? I'm going that route. All right, our collective answer: Wake Forest. Boomer. All right, you guys did very well, but and I thought you would. So the, uh, the correct answer is there are four schools in the current ACC that we have winning records against. Uh, Sweet Wake Forest, we we do own, so uh, we are three and zero against them. Uh, awesome. Notre Dame, we're squeaking yes. by at eight seven and one all time. Really? Uh, we're, and wow. we are two and zero versus NC State and one and zero versus North Carolina. That is it. Oh, North Carolina, North Carolina, that was a bowl game, game in the seventies. When did we play North Carolina? The Blue Blue Bonnet Bowl or something? Was that when we played North Carolina? Yeah, that sounds correct. Something in the 70s. Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl. Yeah, we've really not played the ACC very often. It's kind of surprising. We've never played Boston College or Louisville or Virginia. We've only played Duke and Georgia Tech the one time. Uh, We did play Pitt quite a bit from the late 20s into the uh, early 50s with a brief interlude for a small war. And did not do well against them. Uh, we're six yeah, and fifteen was... and three all time against Pitt and Florida State's Ooh. been our bugbear at two and six. So Yeah. We yeah. still have a terrible record in conference against Minnesota because of the you know the, yes, the, the early years. And that's you know. a trivia question for did another you say show. Bugbear? Yes, bugbear. Oh, I thought it was bugaboo. Oh, you could use bugaboo bug- as well, but what's wrong with bugbear? It's you could use bugaboo if you wanted to say something that people have heard of before. Bugbear, I've never heard that. <laughs> never use that. <laughs> we're not only here right, to well, discuss football, like but we're here to broaden your vocabulary. All right, yeah. let's have a catch. There we go. Well, okay. let's broaden that vocabulary by talking some ACC. We're uh, in the preseason shows, going to be breaking down each of the Power Five conferences. When I say breakdown, it's a a light breakdown. We're not going to act like we're ex- experts here on uh, the ins and outs of all the other conferences, but we do follow uh, college football closely a- across the-, the board, and we'll also probably do a little bit on some of our favorite group of five uh, schools as well. ACC guys, uh, what have you been reading about in the in the magazines and on the on the radio shows uh, that has caught your attention? Well, well, great. I I've been the, I've, yeah. I've been practicing all this for a week, and now Dave says that you know we're just giving a light. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I should have thought. You know what? I'm going to hand it over to Boomer first because yeah, he's you jumping go, all Boomer. over this. But Honky, yeah, you can fair. get in second. I think yeah. that you know the real talk's been. I think the questions are when it comes to the ACC: Will Clemson be able to repeat again as champions in what are they, the Legends Division or the Metropolitan Division or whatever they are in the ACC? I don't know. That's right. I, that that raises the big question: Can Dabo actually do it again with? you know, talent being gone. And then the other question is Miami. Everyone's talking them being back and with Rick coaching. Yeah. Are they going to actually amount to something finally? I, they've never made an ACC title game. Is that correct? If I, if I'm thinking correct, that's correct. So, that is correct. History, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're still a king of football. So thank oh, you. Of course Stuart they are. Mandel. Yes. Thanks Stuart. Yes. 
Right. Well, if you drop Nebraska from the Kings of Football, you, you know, lose your job. So you yeah. watch out. He <laughs> really stuck his neck. Uh, cool. I've heard a lot of. I've heard a lot of references between the ACC and the SEC right now down there because in that area of the country, those are the only two conferences they think exist. And I don't want to go down the 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 rabbit's hole. Is that the term? Whatever it is, I don't want to go down that that. Hey, we're working on vocab today, so let's yeah. give it a shot. I don't want to go down that route with the SEC, but on the ACC side, I mean, you're talking about the returning national champions. You're talking about the, the you know returning Heisman winner. Yep, They've had multiple true. Heisman winners out of the last two or three seasons. The team that we haven't talked about when we're talking about Clemson and Louisville here is Florida State, the actual you know top Absolutely. program of that of that conference. I think it's pretty top heavy right now. I think there's a lot of crud when you get down into about seven and on down. I mean, it's five, six. You know that there's not the depth of that conference anywhere near what the Big Ten I would say has. Yeah, that's probably. Uh... I mean, I guess from our perspective, a fair take. I mean, but you're right. The, the buzz is, is is the ACC taking over uh, the, the mantle from the SEC as the best conference, and they are, are pretty top-heavy. It seems like a difference from last year was the ACC had a lot of experienced uh, QB play, and there's uh, quite a bit of uh, attrition on that. So it's going to be interesting. You know, Clemson starting a new new quarterback. Miami, if Brad Kye would have stuck around, Miami could have been a really, really formidable uh, team this year. Uh, I think uh, Vodtech lost their starter. Uh, North well, that's Carolina why A.J. Bush is over at, at Vodtech now, that's, though I don't know if he's – I don't I, believe he's going to be starting. But yeah, He's got like a, fr- a f- true freshman and a redshirt freshman as his main competition, so he's got a shot, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've, that would be I've awesome. I've seen the, the Vodtech blogs lately. But I think that's the thing that I mean they've had some really good successes with with QB play and to hockey's point Lamar Jackson and uh, Jameis Winston winning Heisman's where SEC has struggled producing really good um, car, uh, college quarterback play and and that seems to have held them back a little bit. ACC's ACC's really delivered uh, yeah. recently. And you know and I don't think we've as Mike kind of joked about the the names of their divisions or Boomer did. Um, you know. They have a very – they've had uh, quite a separation of powers there too. A lot of people talk about the SEC West, you know, and, and how they've ruled the East. And a lot of people talk about how the Big Ten East is so much better than the West and all that. The Atlantic Division, which has uh, Florida State, Clemson, and, and Louisville in it, that has dominated, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that that conference. And and I don't know that, that I see a, a huge uh, – I don't see that gap necessarily, you know, getting any closer this year, at least at the top. Dave, to your point about the, the, the QBs, the Atlantic division does at least have, you know, Florida State has, uh, I think it's Don, DeAndre Franquois, Fran, Francois. 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 Uh, he started 13 yeah. games last year, threw for 3,350 yards, 20 touchdowns as a redshirt freshman. So he's coming back for, for Florida State. And obviously Louisville has Lamar Jackson back. I mean, I, I do think that this is the season. I think Clemson – I can see them easily going into that eight and four range, and anyone that thinks wow. like that's that's nuts and crazy, just remember they beat a team like Troy last year by six points. Uh, we had our Indiana Nebraska kickoff uh, move to another network because NC State couldn't make a thirty yard field goal to beat them, and they should have. They lost to Pitt. I mean, this that that's the best Clemson team. Well, then they just lost a lot from that. So let's put those things in perspective. I think a team to watch definitely out of the Coastal Division. I'm really interested in Pitt right now, and I can't believe those words really? just came out of my mouth. Like, I've never said I'm really interested in Pitt 
Yeah, I'm until surprised they, too. It feels weird. Ever to even since say that 2005 that. game with Nebraska, I'm never interested in Pitt. Oh. That was yeah. Yeah, that, uh, is that game is still going on in hell someplace. Team. So. Mike Riley has some history with Pitt. They, I think uh, uh, Pitt and Oregon State played one of the worst bowl games ever contested. I think uh, Riley yes. won the Sun Bowl three to zero versus Pitt one year, right? That was yeah, that, that, that was sounds... some of the worst football I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah Iowa had horrible. a six four game against someone one time. Oh. Yeah, that might have been Pitt, even I don't know. Pitt's Pitt's involved True. in a lot of terrible games. They also have the USC graduate transfer QB right now, Max Brown. He's mm, probably going to oh, be yeah. starting for Who them. Who does? Who's got I think him? with Pitt. And Pitt, and uh, with Pitt. Narduzzi, with Narduzzi being in what year three now, I think I I I'll tell you what I I keep jumping between conferences a little bit here, but on the Big Ten side of things, Michigan State has struggled the last couple of years, and I don't think Narduzzi him leaving there gets enough of the credit or <laughs> discredit or whatever for that happening. I mean, he's I think he's a top notch coach, and what he's doing at Pitt, I think he's building something there, and obviously they they last year they beat. They beat both Penn State and um, Clemson. So you know, going into the uh, going into you know conference you know championship weekend or whatever. I mean, they they basically beat two of the conference uh, winners, and I think they're the only one in the country that did that. They kind of are flying under the radar. I'm looking at some Athlon stuff here. They're picked to finish fourth in just their division alone. Pitt is a team that I, I would not sleep on. And they That's do open the season with the uh, Fighting Pelinis of Youngstown State, so that will be uh, oh, another nice connection go. for us Ooh, all there, nice too. Nice job. Trivia Doing question. It. When does Pelini get knocked out of that game? Which quarter? You know, that's the <laughs> – and what does he have to say so what to about, do it? What about Miami? Uh, it seems like everybody's relatively high on them this year. Uh, Richt is ramping up recruiting, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right direction? Mac, you've you've kind of been paying attention a bit to the recruiting side of it. I mean, I don't know how that that pertains to this season, I guess. But I mean, yeah. they I mean, what, you know they you appear to, they appear to have some momentum recruiting. I mean, it looks all good. You know, Rick's kind of an interesting fit there. He, you know, he's an alumni. I don't know that he's probably got some free reign to do stuff there that he was never going to get at Georgia. And I just feel like yeah. Miami is such a not easy job. Can he rec- but if you if you can Georgia running backs is the question to Miami, right, right Mac? I mean, if you can deep. if you can <laughs> if you can harness some of that talent while maintaining just a little bit of order, you know, you can you can usually put together some pretty exciting teams. And he should understand that. that. I mean, being an alumni, so it could be I don't alumni. Know. I never ever pictured Rick as a quarterback yeah. at Miami. It just he like, seem like that right. At all. I mean, like I had he's from weird, Omaha. Weird visual. Yes, yeah, he's he is from Omaha and mm-hmm. rooted for Nebraska. If I had um, to pick my, if I had pick my division winners, I mean, I'd, I'd have it be Florida State, and I think I, what Fuentes, who I think is an outstanding coach, what he did at Memphis and already in year one at Vatek, I'd have it be Vatek, Florida State. That's my, that's my uh, Vatek, Florida my State. Pick there, Vatek's mm-hmm. moving the needle a little bit. Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Fuentes. I believe he's married to Daisy. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, yes, Fuentes. Oh, it's Fuente. It doesn't it's, have a Z at the end. It's French Romanian. But oh, okay. I'll, I've learned so much. As was second. hers. It's amazing. Uh, I'll throw another thing out. Uh, who's the coach in the hot seat in the ACC? Who's most likely to lose their job this year? Oh. Well, if you're Bronco Mendenhall, do you want to keep it anymore in Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird fit too. Yeah, huh? I, I don't quite understand that one. I I didn't when he took the job, and not sure yeah. anyone really wants it. But. 
How about uh, I think Adazio I think at, in BC? At, That'd be my call. I, well, I, I think Georgia Tech. Um, oh, I'm drawing a, a Paul, Paul Johnson. Johnson. Uh, they have such a love hate with him. I think he's done a fabulous job there, but he runs such a unique. That's just because you love the play. option. I I don't even I don't like the style of option that they run. I'm a I formation kind of guy, and that weird <laughs> wing T kind of more of a navy offense. I'm not into that. But yep. the point is, it's so different, and it's hard to recruit receivers. And that's a school that's had a you know Calvin Jones is kind of, or Calvin Johnson came out of there. So, Isn't that crazy? Um, that's crazy. You know, yeah. So they, but they, there's just and he's done a decent job there. They've won some games. They've they've beaten some teams that they weren't supposed to, and yet. And it's, and it's Georgia Tech, so I mean they don't have ridiculous expectations, and yet he's—I think he's kind of having to fight that stigma of being a, a wing T guy in in a conference that isn't, you know, in an era that's not running that. So he's he's my sure. on the hot seat guy, unless you want to consider like a motorcycle a hot seat, and then I'd say it's Petrino. Um, <laughs> but oh, he had that one in the bank all year. Yeah, he had that as like one. Whew, I finally got to use that one. Get that out. I feel better now. Uh, well, you asked me to set you up, so I, I was going to say <laughs> that Steve Adazio from BC, and, and it's funny to me. At, at some point, there's going to be one of those programs in the ACC North, Syracuse, BC, somebody who starts to actually can r- recruit and, and and produce a winner up there. Uh, and Syracuse just got a new new coach, uh, Dino Baber, so he's he's not on the hot seat yet, but. Um, I mean, BC was a, a proud program that is at least consistently, you know, a competitive. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Syracuse. And it just has been a long time. So someone up there has got to start producing. Yeah. You know, we had that Kings and, you know, Barons talk a couple shows back. And you, you just mentioned it, Dave. Those, some of those schools up there, the histories of the of Pitt and Syracuse and, yeah. and BC even to that extent. I mean, there's, there's some proud historical programs that have just been – awful for you know almost you know as long as we've we've been around i mean what pit was 76 was that dorset 76 was dorset and they were probably i think they were ranked number one in the early 80s for a bit with marino hugh um, green was I mean, hugh green was 80 and he came in second in the heisman mm-hmm. and then early 80s uh, marino was in the you know class of 83 um but it was his 82 year, I think, that he had really, really great stats. So, anyway, yeah, I just it's just been a long time, and I'm not saying that they're going to get to that point, but it feels like they could at least be competitive in their own conference at some point. And mm-hmm. it's not like anybody's expecting Pitt, BC, or, or Syracuse to actually compete in the ACC at all right now. So, yeah. so this is my take. All right, guys, anything else on the ACC? Honky, you said you did all, all this research. Are, are, are we missing out on any nuggets of knowledge that we should have? the really research? just Petrino's hot seat. That was all the research I did. Um, but no, but I'm saying Florida State, uh, Vautech in the, in the championship game. So you guys, any difference from that? Yeah, I think that? Florida State is probably my, my pick. Um, I'm interested to see who how Clemson shakes out from a quarterback perspective. They, I think they had the number one quarterback in the, in the country uh, last year, and he was in for spring. But my sense is Florida State will will do it this year, and I, I don't think Miami is going to be that um, much of a uh, threat to them in that ACC title game. But it'd be cool just to actually see Florida State Miami play. And I'm sure that's what the ACC envisioned when they you know formed this thing so many years ago, and it's never happened yet. So 
do, where does the ACC play their title game? Is it in like the same spot every year, or do they do, do they do a home and away thing? For a while, uh, most recently it was in Charlotte, and then I think they moved it from Charlotte last year because of uh, some of that legislation that was going down that was unpopular. Oh. Um, so I think they moved it to Orlando. That I think it might be back to Charlotte. I'm not for certain. Got you. Yeah, they've always had awful weather there too. So honestly, I don't think they should they should move it to Tampa Bay or something. Uh, anyway, uh, Mac, any f- closing words on the ACC? Do you have any running running backs we should keep an eye on in the ACC? Um, no, not right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in a little bit anything? deeper on that. Boomer, any more ACC stuff? No, I think pretty well covered. I think uh, everything we need to say about the ACC. I guess I'll get my <laughs> picks. You know, you've got uh, FSU in the in the north, and then in the Sun Belt or the Patrick Division or whatever it is. We'll go with let's let's go with the sleeper. Let's say Georgia Tech rebounds this year, catches everyone nice. by surprise. ACC has produced a lot of surprising division winners. I mean, Georgia Tech, Duke, just recently. Um, so hey, not out of the uh, out of the realm of possibility. All right, all right. Well, let's uh, wrap the show up and uh, call it a great show one of season two of the Go Big Redcast. We will be back with you next week.